The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Well, this morning we are going to continue uh, looking together in our series on the mission of the church. It is in particular the mission of our church, but it is easily uh, the mission of the church, Big C. The mission of the church is simply uh, to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. That the good news of Jesus Christ is given to us for the express purpose of not allowing us to remain as we are. It, It is a change agent by its very nature. That when you come into contact with uh, the true king, there is no neutral. You are changed, either hardened in your opposition to him, in your desire for self-rule, in your desire that you will not bend the knee to any sovereign, that you are going to control your life, or you will be changed by bending the knee, by giving up your life to him uh, by saying uh, that he is your king and that he is your savior simultaneously and that you begin to change you are uh, you are changed in relationship to him positionally in that he now says and declares you are righteous you are my son or my daughter and you have my righteousness given to you that's called justification uh, that you are just as if I'd never sinned, justified uh, in that. And so you are then positionally with him. And then you are beginning to change relationally to him. That you are dying more and more to that old self-rule. You're dying more and more to making uh, a self-determined uh, path of life. And you're becoming more like him. And so we talk a lot about spiritual transformation being transformed from glory to glory, that it is a process by which, as the old writers would say, that we live more and more to Christ and we die more and more to self. That we look within any situation and we ask, God, what are you trying to teach me about you? Lord, what are you trying to reveal about yourself in this situation? And Lord, what are you trying to teach me about me? What am I supposed to learn in the middle of this situation, this stage that you have taken me through in life? And we've said that we not only want to be a church that is seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel, but that we are a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples who celebrate God in worship, that we, we come and we celebrate Him that we renew our hearts and minds by the power of his word, that we, we understand that our culture is about conformity, but we want to renew our minds and the impulses and the inputs that happen day to day and every day, uh, that, we, that we come and want to be renewed in our minds by his word and the power of his spirit, that we want to live in deep community together, that, that we want to, to live in such a way is different from the shallowness from the veneer of what our culture offers to us and that we want to serve the needs of others. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at living in deep community. Now, personally speaking, this is one that resonates with me. I, I, of course, all four that we would say of 
uh, of celebration, of renewal, of deep community, of service are equal in their value. But I believe personally that as a church, if we can figure this one out, most churches should be able to present a a celebration every Sunday, that that we can come together and, and worship. Most churches should have a good discipleship ministry, that you have Sunday schools, that you have small groups, that you do that. Most churches should be caring for the needs of other people. But very few churches know what it means to live in deep community together. But if we can figure this out, if we can begin to to allow this to to latch on within our DNA and over the course of the years that we have together uh, to bear its fruit out within our lives, it will truly be transformative and it will be to me something uh, that others around us will be drawn to. Yes, they'll be drawn to worship, but the fact of the matter is some of you like the music and some of you don't. We hear it. I get it. Some of you like to raise hands, some of you don't. Some of you like small groups, some of you don't. Some of you like big groups, some of you don't. We have all of those things. Uh, Some of you want to go out and serve the needs of other people, some of you don't. I get it. But here's one thing that all of us have in common. We desperately want to be known. And the world around us desperately wants to be known. And so we can say we've got nuances and differences in worship, but you can overcome those. Uh, And you can overcome the small group thing, and you can overcome the service thing. But you're going to be drawn to this. There's something unique about the relationships that I see in you and the people from your church. That when you gather together, that there's a sharing, that there's a life together. There's a depth to the community that you have. When you were in need, the church flocked and surrounded you. When you had a crisis, there were people there that you don't live alone. And I find myself living alone. And the world's going to be drawn to that, I fully believe. And so we're going to highlight this this morning, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 10, particularly verses 19 and following. Because you see, remember, we're never going to preach a mission statement. We're going to preach God's word and from it draw our mission. And our mission of deep community comes from this passage. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we pray now that you would bless the hearing of your word, the reading of it, that we would come and we would sit under its authority and that we would be forever changed. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Our burden is to understand what community could be in a way that excites with its potential to liberate, strengthen, and encourage just a few and to touch the deepest, deadest, most terrifying parts of those people's souls with resurrection power. Larry Crabb wrote that years ago. But deep community is to excite the soul 
It's to lead us into a place that begins to transform. And it's a place that happens within deep community because it moves us from the mind into a heart level of life. It removes the veneer. It forces us to take down mass, to live beyond a pose, to come in and to be known maybe for the very first time. To let you in to my heart, to, to let you into my life, to let you see what's behind door number one. Terrified that if you see what's behind door number one, you may reject me and move on uh, and not want to be anything with me. Uh, but I want to be honest. I want to be real. And so it's an inviting in. It's a terrifying inviting in of going deeper. And I believe it's a true mark of the church. In First Thessalonians, Paul wrote, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only in word, not only in that renewal sense of small group and word and all, but our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul said, I want you to know me. I want to share with you my life. I want to share with you who I am, not just the words that I speak, but I want to be known by you and I want to know you because you have become beautiful to me uh, in that sense. And so what we're going to look at this morning from the writer of Hebrews is looking at first the importance of deep Christian community, the importance of deep community, uh, then the marks of deep community, and then finally uh, looking at the source of deep community. So it'll be the importance of deep community, the marks of deep community, and the source of deep community. And then as a community of faith, we'll come around to this communion table, this communing table together and enjoy the Lord's Supper together. So first, the importance of deep Christian community. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as the day is drawing near. At verse 25. So what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews here, is writing and saying is first this. We are part of something beyond ourselves. We are part of a congregation. The episynagogue is what it says. You're, you're part of a synagogue. You're part of this, of this group uh, connected together, this larger body. You're a part of something that is beyond yourself. Now again, we live in a postmodern and even post-postmodern world. Uh, which says, no, I can live life by myself, all on my own. I don't need to have the organized church, uh, the gathering of the saints any longer. It can just be me. Uh, I can be in my room. We're going to get our favorite pastor piped in uh, from wherever he or she is, and we're going to sit down, we're going to drink coffee, we're going to eat scones, uh, and we're going to have church all by myself. The Scriptures don't really allow us to do that. The Scriptures say you're to gather together. And the word that they use there is the word that we gain, the word congregation. And I mentioned last week when we were enjoying uh, new members coming into the church that there is a difference between an aggregation and a congregation. An aggregation uh, is a collection of individual parts uh, put together uh, but not necessarily held together by anything organic. An aggregation is the best mental picture that you could use probably is that of a bag of marbles that all the marbles are in one bag and therefore they're together, but they're not connected together. They bump into each other. Uh, they're in there, but they're not necessarily connected together. And most folks see church as an aggregation. 
That is a whole bunch of people with separate lives who come together that say they're a part of this church or that church, but there's no, no connectivity. There's no connective tissue. There's nothing that holds us together other than the sack uh, that says Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. And we're just a bunch of marbles that are bumping around uh, once a week and every now and then. And, and we really get excited when there's a whole bunch of marbles together because then we're a big church. And then we've had a successful ministry because we had a bunch of marbles come together and then all the marbles dispersed out into their individual lives and we just want them to come back and aggregate together again. But a congregation is different from that. A congregation is a gathering of individuals who are held together organically uh, by something more than themselves. And and the mental picture that you would have there uh, is that of a bunch of grapes. That there are individual grapes but they're held together by the true grape vine that they share life together, that their lives are affected, all of the grapes' lives are affected by the other grapes. If there's a sick grape, it affects the overall bunch. Uh, The healthy grapes affect the overall bunch. But the group together is held together. And Jesus said in John that I am the true vine. I'm the true life source. And it's my life given to you. And in that connectedness, you are connected to me and to one another. So it's a fascinating thing that Christ is saying this, I'm your source of life, but guess what? You are also your source of life, that you're going to know me and I'm going to connect myself to you through the Holy Spirit, but you're also going to learn and grow uh, within my life by being connected one to another, because where is Christ right now? Physically speaking, he's seated in heaven, physically speaking, spiritually speaking, he's here. So Christ can't come to you and say, shape up, way to go, keep going on, get up. But what he's done is he's done this. He said, how about this? I will implant my spirit into the hearts and the minds and the souls of individuals who are followers of mine, and I'm going to connect you together, and you're going to know more about me by being in connection with one another. I know more about Christ because of you, because he's being connected to you, not just a bunch of marbles in a bag but grapes connected together and sharing life. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think the church has many purposes, education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ to make them like little Christs. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teaching of the Bible are simply a waste of time. You see, we're being drawn together to become more like Christ. And you will grow together in that. You are organically, spiritually connected together for change. It's important to be together. And so I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. (laughs) But there are a lot of people that are totally disconnected from the body of Christ. That I can love Jesus all on my own. And the fact of the matter is, that is a true statement, but not a fully true statement. You won't fully understand Christ until you're living life together with other people. And that's what we're going to begin to see now. What are the marks of deep community? Look at the verse there in verses 24 and 25. And it says, uh, it says this. It says that, all right, wait a second, before, I'm going to jump back, sorry. I wish I could blame the drugs, but it's just my ADD. Um, 
so before we jump on, so there is this connectedness, but it speaks of, in that first passage, of a one-anotherness. He, he said, gather together, but encouraging one another. If you were to go through the scriptures and look at all the different one-another passages, uh, you would see love one another, encourage one another, challenge one another, serve one another, weep with one another, laugh with one another. There's a one-anotherness. It's one word in the Greek, and it's two words for us, but it is a mutuality. It is a living life together, one another. And that's how we're to be connected, not as individuals off to the side, but as one group of individuals connected together. One an- Think of it this way, that you're one anothering life. I can't do life without you. I wasn't designed that way. I was designed for community. I was made in the image of a communal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I have been made to be connected in community. And so I have to have you in my life if I want to become who I was designed to be. And you have to have others in your life if you want to be. You have to one another. So develop a theology of one anothering in your life, which then leads to this thought of the marks of the church. And let us consider, or the marks of deep community, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as the day is drawing near. He puts that little all the more as the day is drawing near. He basically says this, hey, by the way, Christ is going to return. And he's going to make all things right and new. And we're, we're determined to get this right, or at least close to right, before he comes back. There's a sense of urgency uh, that he has uh, in this. So the first mark of a deep community is consideration. Is consideration. You may be going, what? No, 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 it's stirring up. No, uh, the Greek actually says this. And let us consider one another. This is what it says. Let us consider one another to provoke one another on to love and good works and encourage each other. Consider one another. Think about that. One of the marks of deep community, and I think the first mark, is pondering someone else. Being engaged in somebody else's life enough that you ponder them, that you think about them, that you think in, your, in their life, God, how is it that you have me involved in this person's life so that by my being in their life, I can make them more like your son Christ? I ponder them. I know them. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know their highs. I know their their lows. I consider them. I think about them. Now, if you're married, hopefully it's your spouse that you're pondering. If you have kids, hopefully it's your kids that you're pondering. Then we're going to talk about the purpose of pondering, not just to think about them. Some of you are consumed with thinking about people. But it's not just pondering. It's pondering knowing them. And saying, God, how can I be used by you to help them become more like Christ? Do you have anybody that you ponder? Do you have anybody outside of your immediate family that you ponder? Are you connected enough with other people to actually consider them, to think about them, to call them, to have them on your mind? To drop them a note, uh, to go and be engaged with them when they're sick, uh, to challenge them and some of the things we're going to look at in a second. So there's one question. Do you have anybody that you're pondering? Flip side of that same coin. Are you connected enough to other people that somebody is pondering you? That somebody is thinking, how can I make Bill more like Christ? I love Bill. I'm engaged with Bill. I want to be a part of Bill's life. 
And so I want to challenge Bill. I want to talk to Bill. Do you have anybody pondering you? Wouldn't you want that? Don't you want that? That somebody, hopefully again, if you're married, you have a spouse who's doing that. But beyond that, that somebody's thinking about you. Have you ever felt isolated and alone? Most of us do. And the scriptures say, no, we're to ponder. We're to ask. We're to be engaged. We're to think. We're to pray. Lord, how? And he said, start with thinking. Most of us start with the next word, which is spurring on. Most of us just jump right in. All right. Biblical mandate. I'm supposed to, to go in and stir this person up. So guess what? Here we go. I'm going to stir you up. Well, I haven't thought about you. I haven't prayed about you. I don't really even know you, but I'm going to drop you a note and stir you up because of your behavior. Uh, I'm going to write something to you. I'm going to say something to you. And I have no connectedness to you at all. But I feel like it's my biblical mandate to point out to you these things. That's normally how we do church, right? That's not how the writer of Hebrews would do church. He would say, not that you earn the right, but there is a pondering that happens first. I've considered you. I know you. And I'm now going to do the next mark of deep community. And here's the next mark of deep community. Pondering is the first mark. The second mark of deep community is stirring up. He says, spur one another on to good works, love and good works. Stir one another up to love and good works. What a great word. Stir up. You know what that word means? Irritate. Some of you are going, boy, the church has got that down pat. Because every time I come to church and I'm around Christians, they irritate me. I've heard it come out of my own mouth. I really love Christians, but I don't enjoy church people. Because church people are irritants. That's a misunderstanding of that word. The word irritate, the word there, is to spur on, to stir up. It's to, it's to sandpaper a little bit. This week I've enjoyed the pleasure of basically my entire right side feeling like sandpaper massage. A high coarse grain of just rubbing. And by the way, it's irritating. Lisa looked at me and was like, What's, why are you agitated? Like, why am I agitated? Have you seen this side of my body? That's the word that's saying, is there somebody in your life who loves you enough to irritate you? Who loves you enough to say this to you? Hey, by the way, that little behavioral pattern you got going on there, that's a jerk behavioral pattern. Hey, those outbursts of anger that you have, I love you enough to say this. I know you want to pursue Christ. I know you want to follow Christ. I know you want to be more like Christ. So I'm going to irritate you now. And this behavior isn't acceptable behavior. I'm going to irritate you. I'm going to sandpaper you a little bit. Hey, I noticed when we were out Friday night uh, that, buddy, you demeaned your wife in front of other people. And I'm not going to say this in front of everyone, but I'm going to say it to you privately. As a godly husband who's supposed to love his wife and sacrifice himself as Christ sacrificed himself for the church and present your wife one day beautiful and spotless, that behavior Friday night in front of other people when you demeaned her? No. It's not good behavior. That's unacceptable behavior. That's bad behavior. We have way too long allowed for bad behavior in the church. And the world's looking and going... If that's what the church is about, I don't want to have anything to do with that because I got all that behavior. 
I see all of that, and you guys say you've got Jesus, and you still act that way? No thanks. Because you see, the church ponders, again, engaged in relationship to where you know me, and then you come to me, and you come, and you say, Bill, that behavior, buddy, it is not. Think about how Paul agitated, irritated Peter. They were having lunch together. Peter was hanging out with the Greeks. All of a sudden, all the Jews came in from Jerusalem. Peter stood up, experienced, and he basically said, oh, wow, I can't hang out with all of these Greek people. He became somewhat racist in that. He went and hung out with his Jewish cultural people. And Paul said this, oh, I just don't like confrontation. Hmm. I want Peter to like me. No, he said, Peter. That behavior is out of line with the gospel. It is causing people to send Peter. Now, he did it in the public arena because he had to, two apostles going at it in that sense because he knew that Peter's behavior was going. That's like if you stood or you stood here today and you heard me say that Jesus Christ is not the only way to get to heaven. Somebody better stand up and go, Bill, that is out of accord. Paul was willing to do it. Now, I've got to move kind of quickly on this point, but here's the deal. Do you have anybody in your life who loves you enough uh, that's going to irritate you in that loving way, to challenge you? Have you allowed them in? Because here's what most of us have done. We have created an incredibly complex, punitive response system that says, oh, you're going to point that out in me? I'm not talking to you. I'm withholding affection from you. I'm going to separate myself from you. You challenged my bad behavior? I'm not going to your church anymore. You challenged my bad behavior? I'm not hanging out with you anymore. You challenged me? Who do you think you are challenging me? Let me tell you about you. We become incredible experts at the other person at this moment, don't we? The moment you feel that little spur like the horse feels the spur, it's the same imagery uh, of the jockey kicking uh, the horse and spurring it on. Uh, It's that that we go, oh, really? You want to talk? I'd love to talk about me, but let's first let me just tell you a little about you. Oftentimes, men, here's what you do. You raise your voice. You bow out your chest because you know that your wife or your children are going to shut down. You intimidate them. And so here's what happens in that. What we have done in those moments when we create these intricate responses of manipulation, we are forcing the other person to choose whether or not to obey God or us. The scriptures say spur one another on. But now what I've done is I've created a situation where you have to decide, is it worth Bill's retaliation for me to speak truth to him? And in my self-protective mode, I've actually damaged my own heart because I need to hear that. And what I've done to you is I've said to you, you now have to make a value decision. Do you value God or do you value me more? Do you value God's affection or do you value mine? And so in some sense, we're pushing very closely to causing the other person to sin. I had a friend in Memphis and when, if he ever said anything against his wife or maybe challenged her on any bit of her behavior, it could be a week before he, she would speak to him. And physical affection could take months beyond that. And so he never said anything to her. The one person put in her life. I know other people 
where the wife is so intimidated by the husband's anger that she's not about to say anything to him. And so here, this beautiful place that's supposed to be for us to become more like Christ. So do you have anybody in your life who's irritating you in a biblical manner? Have you allowed them in to do that? Authentic marks, stirring up, pondering. The other is encouraging. It's a great word that balances out. Then it says there later on, it says, but encouraging one another and all the more. So encouraging one another. Look at this word. This word encouraging is this incredible word that is basically it says this. It's called beside calling is what it means. Beside calling. Think about when you taught your child, if you have a kid to ride your bike. Where were you when you were teaching them to ride the bike? You were beside calling. You were right there with them, running alongside them, and they got to go, and you're running along, going, come on, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. You're beside calling. You're encouraging them. You're you're just going, you're great, you're awesome. Because what kind of parent, when their child begins to walk, and the parent's on the other side of the room going, come on, you can do it. And the kid starts to walk for the first time. How far does the kid usually get the first time? I don't know, a couple of feet. And then what does the kid do? Boom. You stupid child. I wanted you to walk to me. What kind of kid are you? You can't even walk 10 feet? No, of course you're not going to say that. You get down and you go, no, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You beside call them. You get down. What a great compliment to stirring up. We need both within the church. You need both within your life. You need folks who are going to call you a jerk when you need to be called a jerk. And some of us need to be called jerks. Some of us need to be called out on our bad behavior. But others of us need someone to come alongside and go, hey, I see glimpses of beauty in you. I want to come alongside and encourage you. I'm going to drop you a note. I'm going to challenge you on. I'm going to be right there with you. I'm that in your life. And the reason that I'm going to ponder you, the reason that I'm going to irritate you, the reason that I'm going to side call you is because I want to spur you on to love and good works. I want you to agape, the word there. I want you to be a loving person. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another yourself. I want you to be a loving person and extend love in that way. That's my goal in this because I know that's your goal. You claim to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. Therefore, I want to help you in that. And here's how I'm going to help you in that. I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to side call you. I'm going to do those things to love and then to good works. Because then I want to see your works in action. You can't tell me you love Jesus, but then not do anything. I have to question whether there's a true love there. But you have to get engaged. You have to serve the needs of others. You have to be given to good works is what Paul's saying, or the writer of Hebrews is saying here. This is where we're going. These are the marks of a good, deep Christian community. Do you have that at all in your life? How many of you would kind of like that in your life? It's a very small ministry. It'll grow. It'll grow. Here's why so many of us don't, and I'm going to wrap up here. Here's why so many of us don't really want this in our life. It terrifies us. For someone to be honest with you. Is anybody honest with you? And for you to be able to be honest with them, to let down your guard, 
Because here's what happens. When I let down my guard, when I set my pose aside, when I take my mask off, when I say, this is Bill McCutcheon. And I'm going to tell you about my life. I'm going to tell you about what happened to me when I was here. I'm going to tell you what I did here. I'm going to tell you about the thoughts that I have in my life. I'm going to tell you what I did last night. I'm going to tell you these things. I'm going to share this with you. Here's what I've handed you. I've handed you the opportunity to do what? To totally walk away from me. To judge me, condemn me, and walk away from me. So you need to know the source of true, deep Christian community or you'll never engage in it. And here's the source. It comes from the earlier verses there that he's talking. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Do you want to know the source of this deep community? This source of us being able to connect together for you to let down your guard, for me to let down my guard, and for us to return to a bit of Eden where we stand before one another, not, not physically naked, uh, but stand before one another naked and without shame, you have to know who you are in Christ. If you aren't confident in what has happened to you when Christ went through the veil, when Christ went into the Holy of Holies, that He sprinkled you clean by His own blood, that you've come to this table, that you've been transformed, and you've heard the validating words of the Father to you. And He says, you are perfect, you are righteous, you are beautiful, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are well loved, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. When you hear that validation, you don't have to seek validation from anybody else. Here's what's happening in your marriage is you are asking your spouse to validate you. And they were never designed to validate you. But if God has validated you and said, you're mine, and I love you at an incredibly high cost, by the way, and you're safe and you are secure, then here's what can happen. I can, with incredible timidity, uh, but with great hopefulness, go to my wife and say, Lisa, here's me. Here's me. I'm agitated. I'm fearful. I'm angry. I'm a mess. I lust. I do this. This is me. And if she walks away from me, it will be painful, but it won't be devastating. Because she doesn't validate my life. I can still hear the father say, Bill, I love you. Keep going in this. Keep pursuing depth. Keep pursuing hearts. Keep going. Because it's his voice. Because every time we walk into a room, what do you do? You measure the room. Are they going to like me? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to want me? They're going to want me to come back? Okay, kind of. We begin to pose immediately. But if you hear the Father's validation, you hear His voice, it allows you to offer your heart to somebody else. Scripture says be wise, guard your heart. I get that. Don't just indiscriminately. Remember, it's somebody who you're engaged with in a deep relationship who's pondering you, who also loves Christ, who has your best interests in mind, all of those things. But at least you come to them and you say, this is me. Wouldn't that be great to be known? 
think one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced in life is just loneliness. Nobody asks. Or very few people ask. And I'm wondering if that's true in my life. And I'm a public figure per se. At least there's a lot of people who know who I am. And no one really ever asks, how are you doing? Somebody the other day looked at me and said, Bill, who cares for your heart? First time in years somebody asked me that question. I was just like, thank you. Somebody cared. Somebody showed up with a couple of salads because I've got shingles. I can't tell you the meaningfulness of a couple of salads. Because shingles suck. (laughs) Children don't say that word. (laughs) And Lisa just had surgery. And she's had some stuff going on. And so here we are. This wonderful mess of sitting at home going. I ain't got it tonight. I, I, I can't cook. The dish is clean. Are they dirty? I don't even know. And someone knocks on the door and says, here's some salad. A salad. Ah. To be considered by someone else has such depth of meaning. Folks, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you out of isolation. Into something that we're trying to create space for. And that's sharing life. Now I'm going to give you a couple of promises. We're going to mess up. It's just not going to be done perfectly. You're going to be hurt. It's risky. I get it. But if enough of us commit to do this together, it could have such incredible transforming power within this church. And if this church of a few hundred people uh, could be transformed, it could have incredible transformative power within the lives of people in the low country. Just because a few of us decided to say this, I want to know you. And I commit to stay with you no matter what you're, whatever you're about to say, here's my promise to you, I won't flinch. Because if you flinch, I'm done. You ever had somebody share something with you and you're like, ooh. They're done, by the way. <laughs> they're done. So, I'm going to invite you now. Not because of my invitation, but because of an invitation of one who had a very high price. Said, I am connecting myself to you. I'm giving all of who I am to you. So that you can be validated that you can be spoken to and over by a voice that says, you are my poema. You are my masterpiece. Be secure in that. Come into that beauty today. Let's pray.